Good morning. It is a pleasure to greet you. My name is Catherine. I am here to present the message of peace. Uh, so before I begin, if you would pray with me. Great and marvelous is your name, O oh God. You've done enough to prove how great you are. Father, we thank you for being the foundation upon which we can build our lives, establish our faith, and survive this journey called life. Thank you for the gift of your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I pray now, God, by the movement of your Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place, for your servants are listening. Lord, let it be known today that you are God, and I am your servant. Humble my head and my heart. Use my mind and my mouth to speak life, O oh Lord, in the midst of dying situations. And as your faithful prophet Isaiah spoke to a generation to deliver a message of hope, of peace, and the promised Messiah, I echo his response to your calling, O oh God. Here I am. Send me. Have your way, Lord, and speak Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. going to uh, begin this presentation. We've got some slides to show. So all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. So from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's unified theme is God's plan to restore and redeem sinful humanity. The prophet Isaiah spoke to the kingdom of Judah for 40 years, cross-referencing the current struggle in the kingdom of Judah to the hope of the future Messiah. He offers a message of peace. God did not want just to his people just to go through the formalities of worship. And the kingdom experienced firsthand that prosperity was not a sure sign of favor. Rather, God wanted justice to be upheld throughout the land. The prophet Isaiah writes oracles in a pattern of moving back and forth in time as a whole, showing God's ultimate divine rule over the kingdoms and nations of the world. So in the previous week, William eloquently laid the foundation. This one book of the Bible speaks to two different historical situations. Nevertheless, it presents a unified vision. It teaches that God will use conquest and exile to purify the people from complacency, idolatry, and injustice. But it looks ahead to the coming of one who will be both a suffering servant and the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, who will establish God's reign over a new heaven and a new earth. God is above us in every way, yet stoops to love and communicate with us. He responds to our needs in compassion and mercy. He will not leave us to flounder and figure things out on our own. He lovingly speaks into our lives through tangible words we can read and ponder. So how can we fully appreciate that privilege that we have to hear from God and glean truth to find perspective on life and eternity? So today, I will be presenting the word study of peace. But more than peace, I will refer to the Hebrew word of shalom. It's hard to present an exegetical study of peace without considering the importance and the original intended meaning of this word in scripture. For example, it would be incorrect to call the Grand Canyon a large crack in the road, in the ground, or uh, the Pacific Ocean as a, a large pool of water. Shalom is much larger than that. There's breadth and depth and residual expansion in the meaning. It does not only express more than peace, but the kind of peace Shalom represents, it's active and engaged, going far beyond the mere absence of conflict. A fuller understanding of shalom is the key to the door 
that can lead us to a whole new way of living in our world. And the word peace appears in the Bible over 400 times, depending on the translation and concordance. And it's embedded in God's design and his delight. God's creation story, his order of things, human relationships, stewardship, beauty, and rhythm are the foundations of shalom as the way God designed the universe to be. But before I begin the exposition of peace, I want to further present that the biblical shalom construct is, should be understood as both natural in every way, God's very way, and exists all throughout creation. And there is a, a wide array of words and theological, theological examples of shalom that give depth and flavor to the simple English word peace. So examples include concordance, completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. Other words you can see used to translate peace in the New American Standard Bible would include close, ease, favorable, friend, friendly, to greet, peaceably, peaceful, peacefully, safe, secure, trusted, well-being, and whole. So again, if any of these words resonate with you, hold on to it. God has a larger construct and a rich list of descriptions on the concepts of love, justice, and his intended creation of peace. A side note, uh, when I use the term doctrine in this presentation, uh, by definition, it is a principle or a body of principles and a branch of knowledge or a system of belief, but essentially it's derived from the Latin word to teach. So these will just be teaching points. Point number one, peace is to know him. Point number two, Peace is to believe in him. Point number three, peace is to trust him. This will be what will be traveled today. One of the most critical things that you can develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ is the discipline of going daily to the word of God, bedding yourself in the words of the Lord our Savior and planting them deep within your heart that you may learn not to sin against God. For a million and one reasons, your life will be better and you would know the word of God. So set it in your heart, your mission to be a disciple of Christ. Settle it deep down in your heart and surrender it to his better ways. For this world contains everything that could possibly tempt the human heart. But we want the things the world does not have. Peace, love, unselfishness, patience, contentment, and a crown that will never fade away. They are only given by the king to those that desire them. And when the world is wanting evidence of the treasure or proof of these great things, tell them that these things we behold are not things that you can hold in your hand but our most excellent things which are held in the heart and most valuable in times of hardship, for it is then their worth is most evident. So the prophet links crucial lessons for us to study today. Do you know who God is? Now, I don't want to skip this. I'm going to take my time and trot through this because he places this scripture here to give us three points. The doctrine of God the Father, basking in the beauty of him and bowing before him as God most high. So how do you hear God? First, the prophet Isaiah needed to listen, to have a keen ear to listen closely as God the Father gives his word. And as the creator, God sustains and provides for all that he has made, but he is the father only to those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. He gives us his spirit, adopts us into his family, and makes us his children. And he has a loving relationship with us. So do you hear him as he speaks to us personally through his word? 
And do you, as his child, speak back to him in prayer? God loves and protects us, cares for us, trains us, and disciplines his children. So do you know his attributes? God's eternal characteristic is faithfulness, which means he will always be there for us. And God, by character, is compassionate and good. You know, we need him. He doesn't need us. Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Verses 6 and 7. See, God is personal, beloved. And a right view of him leads to a right view of self, wholeness. So he knows us. Do you know him? Uh, second, the doctrine of God the Son, God's indescribable gift of Jesus Christ our Savior. Isaiah's prophecy highlights the Father's sovereign plan and the Holy Spirit's power at work through the Son, Him. Verse 11, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesus, Emmanuel, came to earth as a baby born to a virgin. He arrived on a mission to mercy, of mercy to sacrifice himself, bringing salvation to sinful people in desperate need of a savior. So this is it. God spoke through the prophet to reveal the power and majesty rightly due Jesus, the promised Messiah, because at this point, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria. They were in captivity. The spiritual climate in the southern kingdom of Judah was just as dark. Evil and idolatry was increasing with Babylon encroaching, looking to put Judah in captivity also. And God's patience was waning. He knew that the people could not save themselves. You see, beloved, we have no power to save ourselves from sin because we are dead in our sin. But God has a plan. Just like Jeremiah 29, 11, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. God was going to save his children fully from sin, from its penalty, power, and presence with the coming Messiah. God would preserve the kingly sprout of David's lineage through the stump of Jesse and uphold his promises of Messiah. Which leads to point number three, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit poured out. Verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So in this record, we see evidence of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit actively enabled the Old Testament prophet to speak for him and promises the safety and security that his Spirit will return. So in mysterious beauty, Isaiah gives the revelation of the one God existing in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament reveals the Father's gracious pursuit of his people, promising the coming Son, and records the Holy Spirit's work through the prophets and God's people. And just like Israel needed the Holy Spirit to speak actively through the prophet Isaiah, we need the Holy Spirit daily. His life flows into the believer through his Holy Spirit. This is how we are to know him. So how can you lift your heart to seek and worship God's soul? You see, sometimes life's tumbles can lead you to the most interesting of places, to bring light where the shadows are, to see and understand. So surround yourself with followers, followers of the King, that those who follow the King will help lead us by way of the light of his book. And his promises, the King, they're forever at her side and their gaze is to the things which last forever. So keep this in mind as you meet people 
Because they may pretend to lead you in the right way, but may lead you to misery. For this leads to fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So knowing God's peace, his shalom leads us to be strong in him, to stand your ground. So again, do you know God? Do you know his characteristics? Are you aware of him in working in your life? As tranquility over hurriedness and commotion in the daily grind, as calm when the wind is raging and the storm is outside, as peace and quiet over the news, the radio, the TV show, your phone, aimless scrolling, or even when the lights are shut off or there's no money to spend, as stillness over the stress and agitation of work or school or kids or grandkids or responsibilities. So you know who knew fear of the Lord? Joseph and Mary. Read chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 1 for the full genealogy. And it's here I'll take a quick detour, a detour, if you will, a tangent. So Mary was engaged to Joseph. You know, she had not yet married. She was still a virgin. But she was chosen by God to conceive Jesus the Christ. And in Luke 1, 46 through 55, Mary the Magnificent gives a song of praise. And she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, his holy, name, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, beloved, Mary gives us a lesson in times of trouble. She sings to God the Father a song of praise. Here, peace, shalom is worship. Worship helps remove fear to be lifted into a different state of mind. Mary was wholehearted in trusting God for her assignment, and her song calmed her nerves. So according to culture at this time, it, it was not her young age that was troublesome, but to live in Israel where you could face being stoned for being pregnant and unwed. But Mary had courage. She accepted her calling and she praised God. But like Mary, sometimes you have to learn to stand still and worship him right where you are. So one of the greatest misconceptions, uh, deceptions, and fraudulent claims within the Christian community would lead you to believe that walking with God is easy. There are those that would teach and preach that with the right amount of faith and specific prayer, uh, miracle seed offering, that somehow you would be granted shelter and immunity from the difficult days of life. But I know there are some seasoned saints in this place who have been with God long enough to testify that every day we're walking with God is not just hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. That the longer you've been with God, the more you pray, the more consecutive Sundays you come to church, the more ministries you join, the more offerings you give, that somehow your life ought to be granted with some kind of smooth sailing. But I want to let you know, beloved, that as you mature in the Lord, you will find the longer that you're with God, the more you sense Him, and see God calling you to assignments and ways of living that are neither comfortable nor convenient, that God has a way of growing you through painful predicaments. So know him. Have a knowledge of peace and shalom, of security that God cares. So when you pray to Yahweh Shalom, you are praying to the Lord who is the source of all peace. So keep your eyes on him and not, to, and not the strife and the turmoil going on in the world around you. But to know about Christ is not the same to know him. Our faith is not about what we know, it's about who we know. And as Christians, we need a vivid imagination. 
you know, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible paints pictures, makes allegories, and uses parables. It engages our imagination to help us understand what our king wants us to know about him, about us, about our journey from this life to the next. And when I can try to control the situation, I slowly break away from God rather than solely depend on him. You see, this is how governance is in heaven, to seek God. So fear of the Lord is shalom, wholeness in him, which leads me to my next point. Living knowledge of God leads us to peace and harmony as we believe in him. Here the prophecies of the Messiah state that he will judge righteousness, justice, and faithfulness. So this is so powerful. Uh, for this reference is fulfilled in Matthew 12, 21. In his name the nations will put their hope. Uh, you see the doctrine of covenants. God keeps his promise. Verse 3, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. So it is here in these first few verses that we see the doctrine of covenants gives evidence that God keeps his promises. The Bible often refers to covenants as God's promises made to an individual or to a group. And some of God's promises are conditional, depending upon the response of the people involved. Others are unconditional, resting solely on God's faithfulness. So when William talked about the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, I won't go into detail here at this point, that's where your Bible study will have to come in. Uh, but it's in this passage, again, it highlights God's commitment to the Davidic covenant. His promise to King David of an eternal throne and kingdom. God's preservation of David's lineage through the murders and treachery within Judah speaks to the trustworthiness of his promises. God's faithfulness to keep his promises reflects the integrity of his character and sovereignty over all things. The doctrine of faith, believing God. And believing God because God knows and he loves each of his own. So when you know that God is faithful and that's his eternal characteristic, beloved, why do we falter? Why do we stumble in our faith? Why do we struggle to rest in him, to find fullness in him? Psalm 91.1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The King, Version the King James Version states, he that dwelleth in the secret place. Are you a person to run in the secret place to the shelter of the Almighty? For he will do all that he has promised, care for and make strong, forgive and make new, protect and purify. You see, God's blessings are not measured by physical prosperity or material comfort, but by the daily benefits of a right relationship with him. That our faith in God does not prevent us from encountering trouble, but it does equip us to trust him in the midst of it. For he is faithful to himself and his word, so we can trust him to keep all of his promises. God's presence and power are not reserved for spectacular miracles. No, he provides for us through multiplied daily expression of his tender care and sustaining grace, often through other believers. So in April of, of 2020, I was given my assignment uh, to host a Thursday night prayer line. And at first I you know, didn't really know what it was. I kind of stumbled through it and... Uh, learned a lot in the first few weeks. I learned about how to open up scripture and pray scripture. I learned about the needs of the people around me. I learned about praying for myself. And so what did I do? I called my family. I called my aunties. I called my auntie in, in St. Louis. I called my auntie in Belleville. They picked up the phone. We'd pray together. And then I called my sisters. 
call my sisters in Charlotte, North Carolina. I should call my sister in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we prayed together. Then I called my nieces. We all prayed together. You see, I learned that God was training me through every Thursday to trust him, to know him, to believe in him. So the doctrine of grace, God's undeserved favor. God, grace is God's kindness to those who don't deserve it. For God is slow to anger and longs to forgive people. God shows grace to all. He gives life, families, sunshine, rain, music, talents, as good gifts, even to the people that don't know him and love him. God stands apart from humanity in his absolute purity and holiness. So through this Advent season, as we reflect on the birth of Jesus, we believe in him. This is our declaration of peace that God is able. Uh, verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The waist and the loins. So in the literal sense, this is the body's midsection. Uh, it's not the top nor the bottom, it's the middle. So theologically translated, this is the fullness of Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Christ will be seated not in physical strength, he is filled with righteousness and faithfulness, the belt. In the literal sense, the belt is, uh, a belt is a, it's a strip of leather or other material worn around the waist or across the chest to support clothes or to carry weapons. It's a garment attached to the body uh, as to tighten up another garment or so that the garment doesn't fall off. So theologically translated, this is the Messiah as grounded deep in God's truth, the truth of God's word kept under God's covering so that we are not exposed to the deceits and the lies of the world. So again, here the prophet gives the supreme expression of God's character. And if we are to be holy and whole, we are to believe in him and his promises. So the goals, aims, desires, expectations that we have impressed in our heart must be rooted in God's truth and word. And let us keep our hearts and minds soaked there that we will walk in it and believe it. That our hope, our peace is in God, not people, not politicians, not churches, not leaders, not money, not jobs, not education, not retirement. That our peace rests in Christ alone. God's redeeming work in the world. You see, we live in his world. This is his kingdom. And we are a part of it. So our peace is then firmly planted in his good name and promise. So believe him. Declare peace that God is able. For the king wastes nothing. But be careful who you surround yourself with or be around people truly after God's heart. Rely on the Lord to help you sift through those people. Trust that he is good and true. And don't think that God will punish you. It's going to happen the way he wants it to happen. But that should give us peace. Number three, big or small, God is in everything. So trust him. So here's one we can derive the obvious statements in opposites. Turmoil or peace, together or separate. We now see the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of suffering, and the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. So look, if we look at the imagery in Isaiah, in verses 6 through 8, a wolf and a lamb, a leopard and a young goat, a young lion and a calf, a fatling and a little child, a bear and a cow, the lion and an ox, a cobra and nursing infant. There was never a time when God did not exist. So let me state that plainly, that before there was anything at all, even time, God existed. That no one made God, God made everything. From the tiniest subatomic particle to the furthest galaxy in the universe, everything comes from God. What we can see and what we cannot see, heaven, angels, and the whole spiritual realm. He spoke, 
and all of these things came into existence. So God alone is able to bring something out of nothing. Thus, the doctrine of suffering, sin's sorrowful impact on this world, also the painful path to spiritual growth. Verse 6 through 8. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lay down with the young goat. Thank you. The calf and the young lion with fattling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lay down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the wean child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Each creature each living thing here presented in this passage is a creation of God. So just by reading the words, you can either cringe and have a harmful connotation, or the word can evoke a presumptuous or a humble na nature. And in the natural world now, if you were to look at any of these situations, had they gone wrong, it would not end well. But Isaiah prophesies, a little child shall lead them. Now, beloved, when I make this statement, you know, you can come see me later, but suffering creates areas for God to move in your life. He often uses suffering to soften our hearts, to seek him, and draw us to himself. God orchestrates our circumstances to remove our illusion of strength and help us look to him. This journey that we embark upon, beloved, it is not for the double-minded, no. It's not for the wishy-washy, not at all. You see, life comes overflowing with fears, doubts, misery, bereavement, discouragement, and grief of those that have made it this far. A mess of fears from the swamp of despondency is a place where people give up before they even start. So do you believe that we serve a God that uses pain and problems to groom us for his glory? See, this is a mystery. How does this bring us peace? That God is in it regardless of our decisions? We are to reframe our problem by praying over it. For it's not easy and it's not quick. Each and every time there is suffering, each and every time you must give it over to God because he is using this present situation, that situation to show himself. For the king is aware of our sorrow and not one tear shed is lost. So be at peace and lay your burdens at the feet of the king for not one hair of your head falls without him knowing. And he prepares a special place for you to lay your weary head, your heart, and your soul. And Sister Angela, she confirmed this today in my heart, that God turns your heart so that you can become yoked with Jesus and he will teach us how to pray. Therefore, shalom is an action word, an active word. Pay attention to all the little ways God communicates to draw us close to him, for our human strength will fail us, but God never does. Peace, prosperity, favor becomes an action word of trusting in God, to trust in his sovereignty at all times. In God's strength alone, we can rise from the hard places in life to carry on and move forward. For God does not strengthen us just so we can be strong again. He wants us to re-engage with the work he is doing in the world. The doctrine of sovereignty, trusting the God who rules time and eternity. Verses 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So when we know that God controls all things, we can trust him. That life on earth promises hardship that tests the reality of our faith. 
But God uses earthly trials in this fallen world to tenderize our hearts and help us focus on what matters most. We experience God's compassionate care in meaningful ways through those hard times. There is nothing that is outside of God's wise control, even the exact time and place for each person to live. No one tells God what to do. What God plans happens. No event, no natural disaster, no person, not even Satan can stop God's plans. God planned the time for his son to come to the earth the first time, and he has a time for his son to return. God will accomplish his plan because he alone has the power to do so. So remind yourself, beloved, what is it that you believe and who do you truly worship? So connect with other generations that have gone before us to stir your affections for right things. He rescued us then to bring us to today, so acknowledge him. He's the same God. God's past faithfulness prepares us to trust him with our present and future. So in this journey of life, every step teaches us something new, and every hardship strengthens us. And the king wastes nothing. You are here, still in one piece. So don't hide your tears. You're here among family. It does good to speak of our family both here and gone. We carry them in our heart, holding on to the king's promise that they too understand and follow that I may have peace. So be assured, trust him, and have an atmosphere of peace that God is good. Because we may never know how many things God protects us from to be protected every single day. So as we come to the end of the year, find peace as you know God, believe in him, and trust him. Jesus' return is closer to you than it was than those that have gone before. We need a renewed understanding of living out shalom on earth. Look at how we experienced the past two years in this pandemic. How did you handle it? What did you notice about yourself? Where did you find peace? Initially, at the beginning of the pandemic, did you respond well to the new frontier? Did you think the same as the other people out there in the world? Or did you think outside of the box? And what did you grieve for? Did you allow God to change the definition of peace? Are you making sacrifice to be open to God changing that definition every day? You see, the path to shalom, to peace, to wholeness is to reject self-reliance and self-rule, to cultivate a heart that longs to know God, to listen for his voice as he speaks to you in prayer and through his word, and run to his outstretched hand when you falter. While we will never seek God perfectly until we get rid of our sin nature and are with Jesus in glory, God faithfully seeks and purifies our wandering hearts. He orchestrates our days and seasons to develop our faith. He delivers his faithfulness in divinely measured and timely doses. So what is the hardest thing that you face today? And what are you fighting? Or better yet, what are you fighting for? Then how can God shine through you, your challenge, your blessing? So as I've been meditating on this sacred story in peace, it's a story about pregnancy, family, incarnation, birth, God with us. I thought about what I had witnessed firsthand as a daughter as a sister, as a cousin, a friend, a confidant. And it was all in that moment, God gave me the revelation that it's about memory. So I'm gonna tell you a story. <coughs> so as a little girl, I remember going to my grandma and grandpa's house in East St. Louis, Illinois, to celebrate Christmas. Uh, it was a little home on the riverfront, 1315 Pickett. Though it was a tiny place, it was full of love. It was the gathering place for all the family in the area, and the dinner was potluck style, so everybody brought dishes. Now, there was an adult table, 
that was uh, a grand table set in the living room with all the nice china, the dinner places were set. But then there was a kid's table. And it was usually a little card table, a smaller set apart from the adults. And if you got to the adult table, you had bragging rights. So we would say grace, and everyone would go around the table to say something, you know, what you're grateful for, prayer or something. But if you didn't know what to say, my grandma Green would just say, Jesus wept, or peace be still. So when we were done eating, the kids, everybody's getting excited. And every Christmas, it was our tradition that before we could open gifts, the kids had to do a play for the grown-ups. So my Aunt Linda, she'd have the kids do a skit or a song or a poem, and it was the kids' job to entertain and serve the adults. So the kids would run off and prepare a skit, and it could be anything, it, you know, Jackson 5, a little song or a dance, but everything had to do something individually or together. And even now, it's a tradition in our family to perform for the adults, but nowadays it's, it's a poem or a song or a book report. So by then, the grown-ups were drinking spiked eggnog, enjoying the kids' entertainment. And you just think, all the adults, they cooked all the food, cleaned the dishes, bought the presents. It was time for them to sit back and enjoy themselves. And so if you were the youngest, you could go get it. And even if it was dessert, it was for them to serve the adults. So once that was done, next, it was the kids' job to go under the tree and pass out all the gifts. And you would go under the tree and find the person's name, and then you pass all the presents out, and you had to wait till all the trees were passed out and everybody got their gift, and we would open it together. And everybody got gifts back then, but it was, it was simple things like pajamas, socks, things that you kind of needed. So I share this memory because I take it with me wherever I go. And don't get me wrong, I remember that Christmas right after my father passed. I remember that Christmas when the lights were turned off. I remember that Christmas I was all alone. Now whether your memories are warm and full or dark and dreary, they're still with you wherever you go. But let me also remind you, as God reminded me, that he was there too. God is with us. Pastor always mentions the dash. Everybody has a dash. Everybody has a birth and everybody has a death. But it's about what happens in the middle. But God is with us. So at this stage, my family, they've moved around and the kids are grown. But we still hold those special memories, those moments of peace. So as I close, I pray this season of Advent, then the weeks leading up to the celebration of Christmas Day, that you and your family have fullness and rest. And I pray that peace and harmony will permeate through you and onto everybody, that anybody that comes into your presence. For God is there, Emmanuel, God with us, that the same God of Mary and Joseph is with you, that the same God who orders the sunshine and commands and controls the rain is with you. That the same God will lead you to green pastures is with you. That the same God who can center you in a storm you've never been in. I pray, Emmanuel, God is with you. That the same God that leaves you confused and crying, I pray, Emmanuel, is with you. That the same God who acts in ways that you cannot understand, he is with you. That the same God who can make you sing and shout is with you. That the same God who promises you can stand on to build your life upon, I pray, Emmanuel is with you. I pray that you will have peace and security just as in Paul, Romans 15, 13, in Jesus' parting sermon. John 14, 27. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peace I leave to you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So let us pray. Father, your word says you are always with us. You go before us. You are behind us. You are beside us. You are in the middle of each and every situation. 
I ask for the peace that only you can bring. Your word says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and I pray that to be real for each person in this room today and for those listening online to comfort their mind, to calm their heart, to give them wholeness in the circumstance when it feels out of control. I pray that your peace alone that surpasses all understanding bless them and grace them to guard their hearts, to guard their mind. We have peace in Christ, and in Christ alone I pray. Amen. Thank you, Sissy. Thank you. I'm just gonna oh, need to introduce it because it's all that she said. Good tidings. Good tidings. Tis the season. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, because this is the season where he looked at our degradation and not only had mercy, but walked right in. And he did it in such a way that if you hear what I hear, deserves reverence and fear for his might and sacrifice, because he did not have to interfere. From the beginning, the rules were clear. Do not eat, and we ate. Do not kill, and we became Cain. Not only did we know the wages of sin, we thought we could pay. But he knew that there was only one way, and that was for him to come in through the roots of the very best that man had to offer, the roots of King David, a man whose heart was after our fathers, and yet and still flawed, devastated by sin. The Davidic monarchy was cut off. He chose the stump of Jesse to make his entry. He chose our best, and it was not besting, a reminder of our inability and his all-sufficiency. And if you look a little closer, there's much more to be noted. This shoot will bear fruit, unlike the original tree, of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord, and in him he delights. Hark indeed, hear the angels sing, glory to the newborn king, this new king set a new trajectory, not just for one tribe, but for all who reside and abide in him. What king do you know who would trade seats with his slave? What king would reach, reach down and pick you up from the muck and the mire that you create? What king would show up just to take on all of the blame? What king would leave their throne just for your sake? You did not ask nor could you. You do not deserve, nor will you. And you cannot repay, nor is he asking you to. A silent night indeed. A silent response for this awe-striking king 
a hush over the earth for his holiness graced this land. Oh, holy, holy is the night his feet touched our sand. All is calm, but oh, all is bright. This king whose presence makes predator and prey sit at the same table and eat. Their babies gather together to nurse and sleep. This king who rewrites nature to the beginning before Adam and Eve look, looks and talk are cheap. And his ways are perfect and complete, not needing one thing. In him we have peace when life says we should be crippling. We are healed when the doctor says something's happening. We have freedom when cuffs are placed on our wrist. We have life when death says it's our time to exit. The king came to make it plain. Came to take vengeance from our hands and put his justice back in place. This king came to divide soul and spirit. The king came to knock out the world's confusion, shine into our darkness, open the door where others said we are worthless. This king came to mend the brokenhearted and to remind us that this world is not our home, it's just where we started. He is the gift that keeps on giving. He didn't just bring salvation. He calls all who are heavy laden to find real rest and never be forsaken. And with his ears, he's tuned into the spirit, knowing we would curse and defame his name. He still came. I told you this was good. This is good. Good tidings indeed. Good tidings we bring. He is the joy to the world. The joy he gives to every woman, man, boy, and girl. Thank you. I'll be reading from the first letter to the Corinthians, the 11th chapter, the 23rd to, to the 34th verse. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord.
I trust we begin to walk down that path of a deeper, fuller understanding of uh, what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. If he's, if it's just a religious thing, say I know too much. I know too much. I invite you, as uh, Sister Jones, she always knows what to play. I invite you to fall in love um, with him and an excellent place to start as we remember his death, his sacrifice for me, for you. So I invite you now, come join me as we celebrate the death of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to thank again uh, our messenger for today, Catherine Green, um, for your for your study, for your. Um, just want to thank God for you. And for each of you, each and every one of you, don't forget Mr. Thomas, I'm going to see you uh, immediately after worship. You didn't do anything bad, <laughs> just so you didn't know, you didn't do it, you did everything good. I just need to see you before you leave today. Bow your heads and hearts with me, our Heavenly Father. I just want to say thank you, just thank you for... Uh, thank you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for revelation. Continue to deepen and uh, deepen our understanding. Broaden our our vision. As your messenger so eloquently put it, that we go through the things we do not to become strong again, but to better see you. 
with our vision. With our vision, uh, correct, with our corrected vision, let our hearts be receptive to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. Bless us individually. Bless us collectively. Our families. Our city church family, the men, women, and children that call City Church home as you continue to mold us and to shape us into your image, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand. Be with us now as we go down from here. Let us be incredible beams of light and savory salt to a world that is both blind and tasteless. We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus the Christ. Let every heart say, Amen. greet somebody.